I'm excited to share the word with you today. We're in Romans 8 again. We're in part 4 today. Um, and my subtitle is Thoughts on Predestination. Thoughts on Predestination. Did you know that before you were even born, God was at work in your life? Before you were ever born, before God ever uh, uh, created or established the foundations of the earth, He was at work in your life. Before your parents even thought about having you, God was in love with you and chose you to be His. My great-grandparents on my father's side in India they were Hindus, they were idol worshipers, and they converted to Christianity while doing construction work for British missionaries in India. They converted to Christ that way. Uh, my, my grandma on my mother's side was sent to an orphanage run by British missionaries because uh, Great Britain ruled India at that time. And she was sent as, as a young girl to an orphanage run by British missionaries, and they preached the gospel to her there, and she came to faith that way. My grandpa's parents on my mother's side, was, were, they were converted to Christianity in India by British missionaries. So it's an understatement to say that I am grateful for the Brits today. Amen? In a country whose population is over 1.3 billion people and only 2.3% are Christian, I am in awe that God would shine his light upon my family. In a country who has the largest Hindu population in the world and also the largest Muslim population in the world, the fact that God shined his light upon my family is just an absolute miracle. And it just goes to show you that God has been at work long before you were born to bring you into a relationship with him. So if you're sitting in here this morning and you think you were a mistake, you think you are a mistake, I got news for you. Way before you were ever born, God was thinking about you. Way before you were ever thought of, God had his mind set upon you. And you need to hear that today. And we're going to be reading from the book of Romans chapter number 8, like we have the last several weeks. And we're, going to, we're in verses 28 through 34, so it'll be up on the screen for you to read along. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Can I get an amen in this house? Amen. amen. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Can I get another amen for that? If God is for me, if God is for you, it doesn't matter who's against you. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that uh, you would let your word do what your word does, and that's transform lives. 
and that's enlightened hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Paul introduces us in this passage to the idea of foreknowledge, predestination, and God's election, which has produced quite a bit of, if you've been in the, the body of Christ for a while, if you've been in the church world for a while, you understand that uh, these ideas have produced quite a bit of division and debate within the body of Christ for years and years and years. When we talk about predestination and what it means, you always run into the tension between uh, God's sovereignty and the free will and choice of humanity. Uh, in other words, where does free will come into salvation and where does God's sovereignty come into salvation? What does Paul mean when he says God foreknew and predestined people to be conformed to the image of his son? What did Paul mean when he said that? In this passage, this can be a source of contention for some people and very confusing for others. But I want to share with you what I believe Scripture is saying to us through this incredible passage that we just read. And I think it's important to, uh, to what we believe when it comes to the foreknowledge of God and our predestination as believers, because it can frame how we see the world. It can frame how we view our need for personal evangelism. It can frame how we view those who are lost. It can frame how we view our personal uh, responsibility, right? And so um, when you look at the, this idea of predestination, there are two prevailing thoughts about it. The first thought is called Calvinism or Reformed theology. How many of you have ever heard of that? Calvinism, a Reformed theology, most of you. Uh, this thought is named after John Calvin, the French theologian who is considered the most important figure in the second generation of the Protestant Reformation. So after Martin Luther, John Calvin is considered one of the most prominent figures in the Protestant Reformation. Under Calvinism, or it's also called Reformed Theology, there are five veins that come out of this theology that, that make up the acronym TULIP, like the flower TULIP. Okay, And so I would like to quickly go through these five veins of Reformed Theology with you. So the T stands for total depravity, okay, which means every person is enslaved by sin and unable to choose God. This does not mean that every person is as evil as they could be or that there is an absolute absence of any, anything one might call good, but that every part of human life has been degraded by sin. And so that's what the T in the acronym TULIP stands for. The U stands for unconditional election. Unconditional election, which means God has chosen from eternity those whom he will save. This choice is based solely in his mercy rather than any foreseen merit or faith in those chosen. By not choosing the others, God thus also chooses to withhold mercy from some, effectively condemning them by this choice. If you thought that was a little interesting, it gets a little more interesting in the next round. The L stands for limited atonement, limited atonement. And what this means is the death of Christ paid the price only for the sins of the elect. This limitation does not mean that the atonement of Christ 
is not sufficient to save all, but it is intended only for the elect. The fourth vein of Reformed theology is irresistible grace. Those whom God has determined to save will inevitably come to saving faith. That's what irresistible grace means. The work of the Holy Spirit in this regard cannot ultimately be resisted, though there may be resistance by the elect prior to their ultimate response. And the P in the acronym TULIP stands for the perseverance of the saints, which means all those who have been chosen by God, the elect, will continue in faith. Any who fall away either were never among the elect or will repent and return to a life of faith. And so this is, in a nutshell, the Reformed theology or Calvinism. The second thought on predestination and foreknowledge is called Arminianism and is named after a man named Jacob Arminius. And after his death, his followers developed his thinking into what is called the Five Articles of Remonstrance, and this was done in the year 1610, and this was a response to Calvinism. And so I want to quickly go through the five points of Arminianism. Number one, the salvation or ultimate condemnation of a person is conditioned by or is the result of the God-given faith or unbelief of that person. In other words, it's our choice to receive or reject Christ, and that choice determines where we spend eternity. The second point in Arminianism is the divinely provided atonement is sufficient for all persons, but is applied only to those who trust in Christ. Thus, it is limited to believers, not by God, but by the person who trusts or fails to trust. Number three, no person can save himself or herself. Without the help of the Holy Spirit, no one can respond to God's will that all be saved. Number four, God's grace applied by the Holy Spirit is the sole source of good and of human salvation. Yet, this grace may be resisted. And number five, God's grace in the life of the believer enables resistance of sin and Christ will keep them from falling. Whether one who has experienced this grace can ultimately forsake God must be more particularly determined. And that's not the point of this message, so we'll save that for another time. So now, let's look at Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29 again. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. This word predestined, it means to select in advance. It means to predetermine. What Paul is saying here is that all things in the life of the believer will work together for good because God predetermined and selected you to be conformed to the image of Jesus before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1.11 says this, In Him also we have been obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. So, does that mean that the people who reject Christ or have never heard the gospel 
were predetermined and selected to go to hell? Is that what that means? Well, according to Calvinism, the answer to this would be yes. But take a look at this scripture in 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 6. It says this, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. The word all Paul uses in our English Bibles in verse 4 and again in verse 6 is a Greek word called pas, okay? And this is what it means. You ready? It means all. It means all. It means every variety, the whole thing. It signifies the highest degree, the maximum. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter was preaching the gospel on the day of Pentecost, he quotes the prophet Joel and says, Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Why would God pre-select some to be saved and some to go to hell and then say he desires all men to be saved? I want to give you three thoughts on predestination and then I'll be finished today. Number one, God does not function within the limits of time. God does not function within the limits of time. God stands outside of time. He is not bound by it, nor is he limited by it. In other words, God knows the beginning from the end all at the same time. Think about that for a second. Uh, God is everywhere all at once at the same time, right? Time only applies to created beings. Therefore, it does not apply to God because no one created God. He was just always there. Think about that. He was just always there. Like, he was just always there. Like, think about that. Like, he would never had a beginning. Like, that's mind-boggling. There are things about God that we just don't, as humans, have the capacity to understand, right? How God could predestine us for salvation and give us a choice is a mystery that I do not fully grasp. Right? How God can know from the beginning who will be saved and who won't be saved, yet still give us the ability to choose to receive him or reject him is something I cannot fully grasp or something I cannot fully understand. But I know it's true. Although I do not know how that all works and functions, here's what I do know. If you're in here today, if you're sitting in here today and you're saved and you have a relationship with Jesus, God predestined you to be saved before the world was created. He predestined for that to happen in your life. He purposed for you to be saved in eternity. Even before you were born, God was working all things together for your good. Even before you were born, God was thinking about you. He was thinking about how much he loved you. He was thinking about how much he cared for you. He was thinking about the purpose and the plan that he had for you. Just because God predestined you to have a relationship with him does not mean he predestined others to not have a relationship with him. Because 1 Timothy 2 tells us that God desires what? 
all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. People, let me, let me, let me, let me help you understand something. People don't go to hell because God doesn't love them or because he chose them to go to hell. People go to hell because they reject Jesus. That's it. That's it. Romans 1, 19 and 20 says this. In reality, the truth of God is known instinctively. For God has embedded this knowledge inside every human heart. Opposition to truth cannot be excused on the basis of ignorance. Because from the creation of the world, the invisible qualities of God's nature have been made visible, such as his eternal power and transcendence. He has made his wonderful attributes easily perceived, for seeing the visible makes us understand the invisible. So then, this leaves everyone without excuse. If God chose and selected certain people to be born uh, and go through their lives and die and go to hell, and he chose this before they were ever born, they would be with excuse because God planned it, purposed it, and ordained it. But Paul tells us here that man is without excuse. No one has an excuse not to receive Jesus. He says all are without excuse. Therefore, we are all responsible to respond to the truth by our free will and choice. You see, God reveals himself to everyone, whether you're living in the Bible belt of America or, you're, or you, you, you live in some remote jungle somewhere in Africa or South America. God reveals himself somehow, it's a mystery, some way to everybody, according to Paul in this passage. He reveals himself through his creation and he reveals himself through our conscience. He's embedded something inside of every human being that at some point in their lives, he will reveal himself. And because of that, everyone is without excuse. That's a hard truth. That's a mysterious truth. That is something I, I, that's another thing I don't understand, but it's the truth. The second thought on predestination that I want to share with you is Jesus Christ died for everyone. Can I spell it out any more plain than that? Jesus Christ died for everyone. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ suffered and died for sins once and for all, the innocent for the guilty, to bring you near to God by his body being put to death and by being raised to life by the Spirit. John 3.16 for God so loved the world, amen, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that whosoever, come on, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, amen, that whosoever believeth, for God so loved the elect, so God so loved the predetermined? So God so loved the select few? No, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Reformed theology teaches that Christ only died for the elect, the ones whom he predetermined in eternity to be saved. But scripture does not teach this. 
Scripture teaches that Christ died for everyone. Scripture teaches that the blood of Jesus is sufficient for anyone who would call upon His name. Scripture teaches that God gave each of us a free will to either choose to receive Jesus or reject Jesus. That's what Scripture teaches. Now, the Holy Spirit gives us the faith to believe in Jesus and draws us to Jesus, but we accept Christ into our hearts by our free will. Think about in the beginning. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve to take care of the earth, to build a family and fellowship and commune with him. And what did he do? He, 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 he told them, this is the garden that I want you to take care of. This is where I want you to live. And then he put a tree right in the middle of it. And he said, you can eat from any other tree from this garden, but don't eat from this one. Can't eat from that one. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to establish free will from the very beginning. He wanted Adam and Eve to choose to obey him. He didn't want to give them no choice, right? He wanted a love relationship with mankind. But in order to have a love relationship, you have to have the ability not to love someone. So when Paul tells us that we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, he is not saying that we have been pre-programmed to make this choice. That is not what he is saying. He's saying that he is the one that drew us and has worked things out in order for us to hear the gospel and respond to that gospel. But we have to respond. You know, I, I mean, th this is not a perfect example or illustration, but, uh, but, you know, I think this is the best illustration or example I can come up with to kind of illustrate this point. You know, I have two children. One is, he just turned eight and my daughter is five. And I have predestined my kids to do some things. Okay. <laughs> I, I have plans for my kids. I have plans for them to have a strong relationship with Jesus. I have plans for them to get good grades, go to a great college, land a great job, get a godly spouse, be involved in the great commission, uh, yeah. uh, you know, be an upstanding citizen, uh, be a lover of Jesus, a lover of God. Uh, you know, have kids of their own and enjoy a great life. I have predestined them to do this. But here's the deal. At the end of the day, I can't make them do any of these things. They have to choose the life that they want. Now, I can set them up for success. I can pray for them. I can tell them uh, that this is what we believe. And while you're in my house, this is what you're going to believe. Uh, you know what I mean? I, I can, I can, I can set them up for success. I can try to uh, put them in the best uh, place possible for them to learn and to grow and all of them, those things. But at the end of the day, they have to make their own choice in the life that they want to live. I can't even make them follow Jesus at the end of the day. That's a choice that Boston and Avia are responsible for. They are responsible for their own personal relationship with Jesus. They can't be grandfathered in because Priscilla and I love Jesus, right? They have to choose on their own. And although God ultimately knows everything and is not bound by time, it is our responsibility to choose where we want to spend eternity. And we choose that by the decisions that we make every single day. If Jesus only died for certain individuals, 
then why do I need to witness to, to everyone? If Jesus already pre-selected, predetermined, predestined, all these, why do I need to witness to anyone? Right? Calvinists would say, because we don't know who the elect are, only God does, so you need to witness to everybody. I think the better answer to that is what Scripture actually says, that our loving, generous Creator desires all of His creation to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth that is found in His Son, Jesus Christ. That is why we need to witness to people. That is why we need to share our faith with people, because our loving Father desires that all would be saved. Because our loving Father desires that all would come to a knowledge of the truth. Because our loving Father desires that all would have a personal, ongoing, current relationship. Love relationship with Him. That's what our Heavenly Father desires. Amen? And number three, our salvation involves both the sovereignty of God and an act of our free will. Reformed thinkers would say that salvation is entirely up to God. And if you've been predetermined to be saved, you don't have a choice in the matter. At the end, that, that, that's what Reformed theology believes. I believe that salvation involves both the hand of God and the choice of man. I believe that it involves both of those things coming together at just the right time. It definitely was the hand of God on my family to pull us out of Hinduism and idol worship in India. It was definitely the sovereignty and the hand of God that, that that happened. Why was my family given the opportunity to know Christ when well over a billion people in that country still don't know Him? Why did other people's destinies end up going down a different path than my family's? Clearly, God's hand was on my family. But at the same time, my grandparents and my great-grandparents, they had to respond to the gospel when it was preached to them by those missionaries all those years ago. If they had rejected the gospel, they would be in the same boat as over a billion other people in India that, that worship other gods. You see, although it was the hand of God and it was the Holy Spirit that brought the gospel to my family, we had to respond. My family, my, 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 my great-grandparents and my grandparents, they had to respond when the gospel was preached all those years ago. You see, because God created us to have a relationship with Him, He has given us the freedom and the power to say no to Him. Did you hear that? Because God created us to have a relationship with Him, he has given us the freedom to say no to Him. You don't have to say yes. You don't have to receive Jesus. You can come in here week after week after week and hear the Word of God preached, and you can say, I mean, that was a good sermon, but it's not for me. And you can do that your entire life, and God won't make you respond to it. He has put a piece of Himself inside of us that is the ability to choose and make decisions. We are not robots, and God doesn't want us to be robots. He wants us to choose to love Him. He wants us to choose to obey Him. He wants us to choose to serve Him. But that comes with a steep price, because if we choose to reject Him, we must suffer the consequences of our decisions and choices. You see, we must 
We, we've been given the ability and the choice to make our own decisions, but here's the deal. We have to own those decisions. We have to own those choices. We have to own what we do with what we've been given. So there's a steep price there. There's an amazing gift that God gave us. He gave us free will. He gave us the ability to choose right or wrong. He, he gave us the ability to choose what religion. Uh, he gave us the ability to choose what spouse. He, cho- he gave us the ability to choose uh, our relationships and our friendships. He gave us the ability to choose what city we want to live in. He gave us the ability to choose all of these things. But here's the deal. There's a price. There's a responsibility that comes with it. We have to own what we choose. And if I can have the worship team come up, as I'm about to close today, I want to say this. The reason I preached this message the way I did is not to pick a fight with those who are Calvinists. Okay, that's not my desire. That's not my heart. In fact, I am friends with a lot of people who, uh, who, who are Calvinists. I'm good friends with a lot of people that believe this way. I know a lot of people who are doing great things for the kingdom that are Calvinists. I preached this message because I want our soteriology, our doctrine of salvation, to inform our personal evangelism. That's why I preached this message. I want our soteriology to inform our missions giving and going. I want you to know that whosoever calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. That whosoever, whether you live in India, Croatia, America, or Mexico, if you call upon the name of Jesus, whether you're from a wealthy background or a poor background, whether you have a, a dark pigmentation or a light pigmentation, whether you have curly hair or straight hair, whosoever calls on the name of Jesus will be saved whosoever and I want you to know that and I want you to believe that I want you to know that Jesus died for all not just certain individuals whom he chose beforehand and the ones that he did not choose they just have no hope they have no opportunity I want you to know that our God, that my God, did not do that. I want you to know that salvation is for everyone, not just the elect. Or to say it another way, if you're breathing, you are one of the elect. If you're breathing today, you're one of the elect, because God chose you, because you're hearing the gospel. Let me say it to you this way. Jesus has already paid the price for every sin, that has ever been committed or any sin that ever will be committed. He has already paid the price for those sins. If not, he would have to die again. But he died once and for all. Once and for all. Jesus ain't going to die again. Because when he died, he paid the price for every sin of the past, every sin of the future, and every sin in the future that will ever be committed every sin in the world Brittany sins whatever her sins are Japheth's sins Christina's sins Christian sins my wife's sins. she's pretty angelic and saintly but even her sin my sins 
Everybody's sins in the world, over every continent, over every nation, over every city, over every neighborhood, every single sin, no matter how terrible that sin is, or, or not so terrible, all sin is terrible, but no matter how we rank it, Jesus paid for every single past, present, and future. They're already paid for. I need you to understand that. He has written a check. Okay? He has written a check with the exact amount necessary to pay for every single sin that has ever been committed and that will ever be committed. He's already written the check with the exact amount. Only Jesus knows the amount, and he wrote it out. Every single sin. But here's the deal. It's not just one check and one person signs it and we're all good. You see, although Jesus wrote the check, each of us individually has to take that check, got to turn it around, we got to endorse that thing, got to take it to our bank, we've got to deposit it into our account. And those that never do that, they will go to hell for no reason because Jesus already wrote the check. They just decided not to endorse it and deposit it. I don't want you to do that. I, I, I want you to deposit the check in your account. Amen? I don't want any of us to go with this check that we never used. This has happened to, to me a couple times where a check has gotten lost. You know, I talk to the person and they end up canceling it or whatever. And then I'll find it later. And I can't use that check. It was there. But because I lost it, we canceled it. I can't use it anymore. Here's the deal. As long as you're alive, Jesus will never cancel the check. Amen. But once you die, you don't have any more opportunities. Once you die... The decisions, the choices you made, you've got to live with it. You've got to own it. So while you're alive, you better respond. Amen? And doing that is an act of our free will with the help and leading of the Holy Spirit. I want to lead, leave you with one last scripture in Romans 10, 13 through 17. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let me tell you something, church. Choose today whom you will serve. Choose today. Maybe you have made a decision in the past to serve Jesus, but you are not living for him. You are not obeying and following Jesus. You made a decision a long time ago and, and, and you're just doing whatever you want. You're disconnected from Jesus. Choose today whom you're going to serve. 
It, it, it's not enough to, to make a decision a long time ago and, and, and just living however you want. Uh, following Jesus is just that. It's like Simon said, you've got to follow him wherever he goes. And you've got to do whatever he tells you to do. If not, you're not really following Jesus. Choose today whom you will serve. Let me reiterate, if you're sitting in here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, when you die, you're going to go to hell. And you don't have to. Jesus wrote a check for you. You don't have to do that. But today, you've got to choose what you want to do. I don't want you eternally separated from God. I don't want that for you. And you but you have to choose to respond to the unctioning and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because if you end up going to hell, it's not because God chose it, but because you chose it. Got to understand that. God doesn't send anyone to hell. It's people that reject him that send themselves to hell. If you don't know Christ today, today is the day to make a decision to follow him. Man, let's pray.